Hey, 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 folks, welcome back. Another great episode today, zooming in from the GTA. Well, specifically, where, where are you located, Hussein? Remind in me. Burlington. Burlington. Well, fairly close to Toronto. Zooming yeah. in from beautiful Burlington, we've got an interesting guest today. Well, all of our guests are interesting, but today's guest, Hussein Kudrati, is extra interesting because he's a double whammy. He is an active real estate investor. He is also a lawyer who specializes in real estate transactions. So, Hussein, welcome to the call. Great to have you. I'm happy to be here, Dave. Look, looking forward to a great conversation. Likewise, likewise. All right. So, Hussein, tell us a little bit about your path and what got you into number one, law, and number two, real estate, or vice versa, depending on which one came first. So getting into real estate would be what I'd say came first. I okay. come from a family that's invested in real estate for a few generations now. And it was very much ingrained in me that, you know, I never got an allowance. If I wanted an allowance, I had to work for it. Uh -huh. And so if the work involved, well, often the work involved real estate, because that's where my interest just naturally peaked, because I got to spend time with my grandparents and I got to spend time with my parents. And the accessibility to them was motivating for me. So, so were they were, were your grandparents and your parents landlords? What kind of properties did they have? That's so sort of they thing. did a variety of things. They had they did land banking, they did land development, they did commercial, industrial, wow. and residential. Okay. And we were, I was born and raised in Kenya, but they were already doing it on multiple continents and countries at that time. Wow. So so, it's, <laughs> so that was my so that was my introduction to really investing and understanding the value of real estate. And it was from our young age around the dinner table, it was always the constant refrain that you work to get rich, you invest in real estate to get wealthy. And that was always something that was drilled into me. And I was always given books to read about the great families and from the Vanderbilts and the Carnegie's and the Rockefellers. And while they built a lot of richness and some might argue their wealth from railroads or logging or what have you, but ultimately, their preservation and the ability to transition wealth effectively through multiple generations came through their ability to invest in real estate and their focus of moving wealth into land, because land and power are synonymously tied. Even if you look at like the kingdoms of Europe or Asia yeah, or wherever, yeah. like the knights, the lords, the people who well, serve land lord. Where does that term come from? Right, land exactly. lord. Exactly. Pre yeah. Precisely. So it was. That was my introduction to it. And during that period, I also got, I saw how bad real real, real estate lawyers could be. Similar to realtors or what have you. I saw what I saw what you should not do, right? I saw what made was was, was that in Kenya or was that when you guys it was it was in Kenya, it was in the United Kingdom, it was in Canada as well. Yeah. And I learned that you know what, there's an opportunity here to do things differently. There's an opportunity here to actually most importantly, not treat it as a paper-pushing commodity transaction. Real estate, while some of us and some of your listeners might be doing you know, tens, hundreds of deals, for a lot of people, even as investors, they might do one, two deals. This is the biggest investment they might be making in their lives. Right. So to personalize the experience, get to know the people you're working with so that they feel heard, they feel listened to. They feel that they have an opportunity to have their questions answered. And for me, that was my motivation to go there and to actually have these conversations, talk to people in a way 
where you humanize the process. You don't make going to the lawyer and exercise where you're sweating bullets as you're walking into the office, like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Well, that, that's many- that's my usual reaction when I go visit a lawyer there who says, so. yeah. So, and it's <laughs> no, no offense to get your profession, but you know what I mean. Hey, well, hey, let's back up for a minute. All right. So you grew up around real estate investing. You saw a bunch of crappy lawyers doing crappy stuff. You decided to, to do things differently. Well, walk us through a little bit your personal real estate investing journey. What what did you get started with? What are you focusing on nowadays? So I got started in student rentals, personally myself, yeah. because I just saw the opportunity out there. Was, was that in Canada or was that somewhere that else? That was in Canada, in Kingston. Okay, perfect. This is yeah. where I went, right? So that was the opportunity that I saw there. And, you know, and, and so how with minimal upkeep that because you don't have a tenant who's demanding this, that, or the other thing, you got students basically want a roof over their head and that's all. So the, so the upkeep is very low. I also figured out very quickly that eventually they graduate, you hope. So you get, you don't have your long-term tenants. So you have the constant turnover, which is another upside there. Especially in Ontario, right? And you get the same appreciation that as you get with any other home, right? Yeah. So between the three, because location, location, location for appreciation is the biggest thing I realized. So that's what got me started. And then from there, I've expanded into looking at some commercial opportunities. I'm looking at doing some stuff in Texas with the, some uh, development place there and also some rental opportunities there. And so that's where I've grown. And now I'm looking for land banking around cottage country, especially with interest rates going up. And older people who have valuable cottage prop, like lakefront property in Ontario, retiring, I would love to pick up, you know, more opportunities in there because I think there's tremendous opportunity because eventually people aren't going to give up the home that they need to live in. They'll give up their secondary cottage. They'll give up that if they're overextended, over leveraged. And unfortunately, without meaning to sound predatory, but the reality is a lot of people, as the market was going up and money was very cheap overextended themselves because no one believed that, you know, the hammer would come down. Reality would come back. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. All right, Hussein. So you you got started with student rentals. You're looking at different things. You're getting into land banking and and, and exploring other options as well. So let's let's talk a little bit about the the lawyer side of things, the legal side of things. You mentioned that you saw a lot of lawyers not doing a very good job for their clients, being kind of a commodity thing, just a easy way to make a buck. Um, you you go about things a little bit differently. Let's let's approach it from a different angle. And now that you've been in the business for quite some time, working with real estate investors, real estate entrepreneurs, what are some of the biggest issues or or biggest mistakes you see kind of over and over and over again that that are that people are making that are getting them into legal trouble what's kind of what's kind of your bread and butter situation you're helping people get out of i think like some of the biggest issues that i see people getting through is they don't know what they're buying honestly they don't and a lot of realtors out there and again there's some great ones out there they don't take the time to draft their clauses precisely so, or, so you, my client thinks they're buying, you know, for example, they think they're getting tenants at a certain rate, but there's not a clause to get the tenant to verify, you know, that this is actually the rent they're paying. And now you're going towards closing and you don't actually, you know, and you find out that the rents are not actually what they're supposed to be. So the seller or, fibbed about what the actual rent roll was. 
And now you or, have no they, recourse. Or they said that they gave proper notice for the rental increase, but they didn't give the proper rent notice. Now you have to carry at a lower rent for so many months, right? Or even it's like, you know, whether how was it drafted about getting vacant possession? Was it a was it an enforceable clause? Did they comply with the requirements? Because you can write whatever you want, but in Ontario, as I'm sure you're aware, there are very strict requirements on how you can give notice to tenants, even if you want the end user to live in the property or you've agreed to terminate the tenancy. There's still a certain notice period. It has to be a full 60 month, uh, 60 day period. Like that's not always captured in there. So and, and tenants are savvy. They're getting more and more savvy because they don't want to leave their low, you know, comfortable home that they're in. Right. So, it's, it's, so that's one of the issues is understanding what they're buying. And similarly, it comes to zoning. People say, oh, well, I got a duplex. I got a triplex. And for me, one of the most frustrating things, especially a lot of properties I deal with are in the Hamilton-ish area, Hamilton, Brantford. Those municipal bylaws, the term duplex, triplex don't even exist. So when you're putting those terms into your agreement of purchase and sale, to me, I'm just like, you're showing yourself that you're a realtor who doesn't know what they're doing. Because ultimately, you should at least have the right terminology. So what what is the right plan. terminology in those areas? Then? It's, it's, it's multi, multi-dwelling. It's you know, two, 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 two multi-unit or three multi-unit dwellings that come in there. You know, And you have to make sure that now, again, with some of the changes with, that have come in with the provincial government changes with as of right, three units, four units, depending on the municipality, things have changed, right? So again, it's about evolving and understanding what you can do or not do with your property, right? So mm-hmm. that's another issue. And then the other one that often comes out is when you look at development plays and actually planning act issues around them. Because people don't offer, are not often educated on what how the planning act in Ontario, which is a very complex, has tripped up lawyers, investors, everybody along the way, and they've tried to modify it and evolve it. But it's a very complicated piece of legislation, understanding does your lawyer actually understand the planning act and how it can impact you? And how can you use it to be your friend as a developer? So it's all about finding the strategies of actually working within the law effectively to achieve your objectives and your goals. So one of the things that we do differently is we actually get to know our client. We actually get ask them, what do you think you've bought? We start with that, right? Like, what are your goals? What are your objectives? And then from there, we can then look at the agreement and, and identify issues and problems and see if we can try and navigate a solution to make a client at least as whole as we possibly can. Sometimes yeah. there are no perfect solutions, and but at least they now know they're going in eyes wide open that this is what they're getting. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, a lawyer, you don't even meet the lawyer sometimes. I know so many clients tell me that, I wait, I get to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you? And they're like, well, normally it's just the clerk I'm talking yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And that's the issue. So those are the so, kinds so of- what I'm hearing is whether it's you or another real estate savvy lawyer, um, start that conversation before you sign on the dotted line. <laughs> that's that would be a good shortcut, wouldn't it? Before yes. before you've committed to something, get your lawyer, your real estate focused lawyer to to look things over and and make sure you don't have any bombs waiting for you? Yeah, so for one of some of my biggest clients, they will always say, they'll tell the realtor, send the agreement to our lawyer. He Mm -hmm. says yes, then I'm signing. Either put a lawyer review clause in there, but with competitive offers and things like that, it's a little bit harder to put that in there because they often, you end up losing in a competitive bid. So instead, what they'll do is they'll just send it to me ahead of time as they're preparing the offer and saying, what can you do here? Same with thing with status certificate reviews. Get your lawyer to look at it ahead of time to be competitive. You know, and a good lawyer will make that time to make themselves available and get it done. 
in the scheme of things, what does it cost? The lawyer's fees versus potentially the downside when you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars on a property. I always say pennywise pound foolish is not the way to operate if you want to be a successful real estate investor. Well, I, I, I think you bring up a good point. And obviously this is indirectly giving you a plug, but you know, if you can work with a lawyer who is also an investor, that brings a whole different, much more practical perspective to your deals, right? Because it's not just theoretical for somebody like yourself or my good friend, um, Barry McGuire in Alberta, who's, who's the go-to real estate lawyer guy I always recommend there. Uh, Rick Letting in British Columbia, who's the, the go-to real estate. Because you you gentlemen actually do this stuff. Maybe not the exact strategy your client is is working on, but you're very aware of how things work. And, you know, chances are, if you've been doing this for a while, you've, you've seen a lot of different scenarios with your, with your clients. Uh, Hussein, I was going to ask you, you're in Ontario. <laughs> Ontario is infamous for the landlord tenancy board and, and, and all of the challenges that, that are going on there. What are some of the things that you just kind of see over and over again that they could be avoidable that that landlords and, and property owners and investors should be looking at, you know, when when they're dealing honestly, with tenants? Honestly, it's do your due diligence. Don't be lazy. You're trusting your baby, your investment to somebody to look after. That's essentially what the landlord-tenant relationship is. Mm-hmm. So do your due diligence. If something is fishy, just because there's a big number and you and that's the most attractive one, no, dig deeper. Go with the tenant that's offering you less money, but you have a relationship where you know you might have a ref, a personal reference who might know them, or you might know who where they work, and you know that it's a credible letter of reference. Call employers just because you didn't hear back. Don't rush into decisions saying, "Oh my God, I just need to rent it out so quickly." Take your time. I, personally, I take the view that it's okay to leave your property vacant for a month. But do your due diligence, fix it up, because that one month of no rent, it's not going to kill you. But a bad tenant, honestly, who stops paying rent for because of just a backlog is like, I mean, everyone who's in Ontario knows they're to get a resolution from the landlord tenant board. You're looking at 10, 12 months sometimes. Yeah. Now, if you don't get rent and then, and then even then, even if you get a judgment after the fact, you think it's easy to collect the back rent? Trust me, it's a nightmare. So don't be in a rush to just put the first person with the biggest number, either or, into your property. Take your time, do your due diligence. And often, a lot of times, people try and do it themselves. They'll go on Kijiji or other sites of websites and try and source it themselves. I'm like, listen, if you're not seasoned and you're just getting into property management, these professional renters are very, very sophisticated nowadays. Mm -hmm. They will eat you alive. Use a pay for a property management company that's good to help you or, you know, get a realtor who's seasoned and, you know, how can help you do and actually takes the steps to get the due diligence done for you. If your realtor is just sending you rental offers and saying, pick one, fire them. Honestly, yeah. fire them immediately because they should be helping you evaluate and analyzing it because that's what you're paying them for. Well, said. so that would be yeah. some of the things that I would recommend. All right, let's look at a scenario where you do have a tenant who stops paying rent and you're in Ontario these days. We're recording this uh, end of June, 2023. Um, 
we all understand it's it's a nightmare, but what are the what what do you recommend as a lawyer as the immediate steps to take to to get things resolved as quickly as possible? I would try and negotiate with the with the tenant as quickly as possible. Yeah. As soon as you see a potential issue, I would try and, you know, file with the landlord tenant board right away to get to get through the door. So you're starting that process moving as you're negotiating with them. Any negotiation should be in running, uh, should be in writing. And also the one thing I've learned th- through hard knocks and truth is do not buy sob stories. Where the moment they start telling you their sob stories, it's a very dangerous, slippery slope. Because once they know they can get an inch from you, they're going to take a foot and then more and more and more. So two-pronged approach, negotiate in writing, do not have verbal communications with them. One of the other issues, for example, is like with cash for keys, when you're trying to get them out. Do not give them the cash up front. You think it's common sense, but people say, oh, well, you know what? I had an agreement. It doesn't mean anything. If they're not moving out, a policeman isn't going to come and move them out. Yeah. And they now have your money on top of it. Pay it to your <laughs> so lawyer. They've, and trust. they've stopped paying your rent. And now you paid them five grand to move on. And they kept that and stayed in the place. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's just about being smart. And and it's funny because when the emotion comes into it, when people are frustrated and upset, smart people who, in, if they if you, if you were asking them for advice, they would solve it. And yeah, they, and so they see the issues. Yeah. Correct. Sorry, can you just pause for one second? Sure. So, All right, Hussein. So you're saying there, you, you otherwise logical people when they get super emotional, kind of lose it. Let's pick up there. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's funny because I've seen it so many times. People who would give you the absolute right advice, but just in the heat of the moment and the emotion of it, they actually will just just forget all the right things and just make boneheaded moves. And you're just like, we've talked about this. You told me how the best way to handle it was. And then (laughs) these things happen, but you know, I get it. And and the thing is with real estate investing, honestly, at a high level, it's a business game, but people really love what they do Mm -hmm. because it's hard because it's a lot of hours sourcing off market deals or trying to find that nugget in all those hundreds, thousands of realtor.ca listings, right? To find that one that's going to get you the right objective to meet your requirements. So I empathize with it. And I just think that people need to be patient as well. That's because going back to the theme on mistakes, I find people sometimes, especially when the market was going crazy, people just wanted something, anything. Mm-hmm. And they forgot what their budgets were. They forgot what their goals were. It was just get a property, any property. Well, plus, the right? money was so cheap for a while there. I mean, that that's yeah. that's gonna bite. And, a and lot so, of the butt. and so, I I just I just always encourage clients to make sure don't overextend yourself. Make sure you know your numbers, and always know there are other deals. Mm-hmm. I've I've never felt any time I've not listened to my spidey sense, I've gotten screwed. And I tell people, there's there's a truth to that. Like, if yeah. something doesn't feel right, walk away. Don't feel this is the must-have deal. This is not the must-have JV partner. There will be others, you know. Back yourself. That's very good advice. Hey, Usain, I want to ask you your perspective. As we're recording this right now, my understanding is there are quite a few, quote-unquote, real estate investors in Ontario that 
have speculated on pre-construction condos, and that might really bite them in the behind long term, right? Because they they got in at uh, they they got excited. They they saw that the market was just going up, up, up. Interest rates were crazy low. So they committed to buying these pre-construction condos. And then by the time that these things are going to be ready, A, they're probably not going to be worth what people anticipated they're going to be worth or even what they committed to pay the developer for them. And B, they're going to be really hard to sell or a lot harder to sell because interest rates have gone up significantly. So the the supply and demand thing might not be in their favor. And my understanding was that, you know, a lot of people were planning just to kind of walk away from their deposits and say, oh, sorry, and, and leave the developer hanging. But the developers are actually going to sell the properties for whatever they can get for them and then go back and sue the original buyers for whatever the difference was. What What's your understanding about that? And 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 where do you see that going? Is am I on track with that synopsis there, or, or it, what am it I depends? Missing? I wouldn't say that's a broad Ontario issue. Okay. I would say it depends on what pockets you're in. I yeah. think, like in certain areas, absolutely. I have talked to people who have offered, literally, tried to negotiate an exit with the developer, say keep all my deposits, sign a mutual release, and and the developers have said absolutely not mm-hmm. because. And to your point, that's exactly where you know what's going is they're preserving their remedy because they don't feel that even if they keep the deposit, they can't go and resell it for an entire amount. Even adding the deposit in, they can't do it. And these deposits, when you're paying 20% down, are not insignificant, right? These are not your 5 10% deposits, right? Oh, okay. So so if you look at 20% down deposits that have been paid in some of these situations, and that's not enough, even if you go and sell it on after it's very concerning to what's happening out there in the market. And again, and this is where I say to people, you can either be a real estate investor or you can be a real estate speculator, Mm -hmm. but don't confuse the two, right? And make sure that you know what you're getting into. And I think that some people- And be prepared if things don't go your way. That's the whole thing with speculation, right? We're we're hoping for it to go up and for us to make a killing on the way up. But you have to be prepared that if it goes the other way, it works 100%. the other way as well, right? Without without question, yeah. you know. And and most people only, don't think that way. That's the challenge. And the only saving grace in certain areas, I feel, will help people is the immigration issue and the housing supply issue, where I think that they will still be able to be okay because there's just such a shortage in certain key areas. Like like I think people in Mississauga will, for the most part, be okay simply because a lot of jobs still there, a lot of people. So I think those, but then if you're looking at people who bought in Brantford or bought in Hamilton, even to some degree, or Kitchener, I think those areas, people might find that they, you know, might've bitten off more than they can chew. And just from conversations, I can say, I know people who have put themselves in those situations. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Hussein, this has been fascinating. Thank you very much for sharing your, your expertise and your wisdom with us. If people want to connect with you, what should they do? Uh, reach out to me on Instagram at HSK Law Firm, or they can also contact me via email and they can find out my website at hsklawfirm.ca. That's easy. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. It's been great. My pleasure, Dave. Have a great one. You too. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.